This is Inside the Writer's Head with Danny McLean, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton Counties Writer in Residence for 2020. The Library Foundation's Writer in Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here is Danny McLean. Welcome to Inside the Writer's Head. I'm Danny McLean, the Public Library of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's Writer in Residence for 2020. On this podcast, you can expect conversations with writers and other lovers of books, journalism, and the literary arts. Our guest today gave me my first journalism job in Yay. 1996 or 97. <laughs> oh my goodness, yep. yeah. <laughs> and I'm so very excited to have the opportunity to talk with her. Jan Michelle Lemon Kearney is joining us today. Uh, Jan Michelle Lemon Kearney is president of Sesh Communications, publisher of the award-winning Cincinnati Herald, the Northern Kentucky Herald, the Dayton Defender, Sesh Prime Magazine, and PIX, News and Pictures. She's also the co-host of WLWT Channel 5's Let's Talk Cincy, weekly public affairs program and a realtor and attorney in private practice. Before joining Sesh, Ms. Lemon Kearney practiced law with the firm of Tass, Detinius, and Hollister, where I met her, before branching out into a solo law career. Ms. Lemon Kearney was born in Cincinnati and attended Rockdale Elementary School and Walnut Hills High School. She graduated cum laude from Dartmouth College in Hanover, New Hampshire. While there, she attended an exchange program at an HBCU, Talladega College in Talladega, Alabama. She earned a Juris Doctorate from Harvard Law School and was selected first class marshal of her law school class and gave the commencement speech at graduation. Ms. Lemon Kearney is married to former state senator Eric H. Kearney Esquire, who now is the president of the Greater Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky African American Chamber of Commerce, and they are blessed with two children, Celeste and Asher. Hey. Michelle, welcome <laughs> to Inside the Writer's Head. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, I'm so excited to be here. Really proud of you, Danny. Thank I mean, you. I've watched you grow up over the years, and, you know, I mean, you've always been phenomenal, and I'm telling you, when you intern with us, we knew you were going to be a superstar. Thank you, Danny. You were so great and such a good writer and, you know, just like you were you were an inspiration to our, our whole staff. We Thank were just so, so proud of you. So it's just good to see you doing all this great stuff. And I love the, the name inside the writer's head. Thank you. That's very cool. Yes. Yeah. I inherited yeah. that title. I like it. I like it, too. Yeah, I love that. So, um, well, thank you so much for those kind words. I really have such fond memories. I think... Um, you know, that I had the opportunity to get my start at a black community paper. Um, I feel really lucky for that. You know, my first real experience in journalism after really my high school paper. Yeah. So it was just right. Because you hadn't even gone off to college yet. Yeah. So it was so serendipitous. I was, uh, you know, had a little summer job at the at Taft, Satinius and Hollister. Right. I think you were a summer associate that year. Oh, um, maybe so. Yeah. Well, no, let's see. Because um, I finished law school in 91. Okay. So, yeah. So it would have been after. So I was a new, a fairly new associate. Okay. But I had been there a few yeah, years. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, it's so good. I'm so thankful that we've been in touch all these years. I know. It's so yeah. great. Yes. So um, 
The Herald's been the city's black newspaper of record since 1955. Yeah, we celebrate our 65th year this year. Big gala coming up in August, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, Yeah, we're excited. And before we get into the specifics of the Herald, could you talk a bit about the role that the black press plays in the U.S. media landscape? Why why has there been a need for black papers historically and and today? I love that question. So let's go back to 1827. So 1827, um, a group of folks, um, African-American men and women, met in New York at the home of Boston Crummel. And they said, you know, we're just sick of this. Like, we can't tell our own story. Everything in the press is negative. Um, We have no forum to express our ideas and to advocate for ourselves. So they decided they would start a newspaper. It was the first black newspaper called Freedom's Journal. It came out in March of of 1827. And... um, uh, Russ Worm and Cornish were the were the editors, and they switched off being editor and co-editor. But um, what they said is, we need to plead our own cause. Um, you know, there's an African proverb: as long as the hunter or the the lion will never be glorified, as long as the hunter tells the tale. Mm-hmm. So the point is, you have to glorify the lions. You have to let the lions tell their own tale. And so that was really the foundation of the black press to advocate for ourselves, to plead our own cause, tell our own stories and also tell the good news. Let's share the good news, too. Um, And the black press has kept that mission over the years. So um, Cincinnati's black newspapers started back in 1843. So the Cincinnati Herald, although 65 years old, is not nearly the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in 1955, Gerald Porter, uh, who was married to Marjorie Parham, started the Cincinnati Herald. And um, their mission was the same. Let's advocate for the African-American community, tell the good news and provide a forum for the many voices. You know, we don't all think alike. We don't all have the same opinion. Um, and um, so because of that, it's really important to have a forum for the for the many different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a little bit about Mr. Porter, and then I know that wasn't your whole, that wasn't sure. <laughs> no, quite the ahead. question, but yeah. since you asked about the history, so he... Um, Started the paper in 1955. He died in 1963 because he was in a car accident, was taken to a hospital, and they wouldn't treat him. And so um, he died. And his- and just to be clear, that was here in Cincinnati. Yeah. Right? I think so yeah. often people think that these Jim Crow stories only took place in the South, right? right. Somehow just below the, the Mason-Dixon line. Right. So it's important to point out that was right here in Cincinnati in 1963. Right. Yeah. Not, not that long ago, really. Right. You know, so... Um, so his widow, Marjorie Parham, uh, said she didn't want to let his dream die. So she called the White House because her son was in the Army. Her son, by previous marriage, was was in the Army. And she said, I need my son, Bill Spillers, to come home and to help me keep this business alive. And so I don't know who she knew in the White House, but she knew somebody. And so they sent him home, and they continued with the paper. Um, our company bought the Cincinnati Herald in 1996. Yeah, and so. that was, and what inspired you to want to make that purchase? Well, I can tell you it was really Eric's idea, my husband's idea. Um, so we started with a publishing company in 1995, and we bought Knit Magazine, which was owned by Howard Bond and started by Fred Suggs. Um, so we bought that, and that was a monthly. Um, we were in in Louisville and Dayton, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, and Columbus. So that was I mean, that was a lot of fun, but it was monthly. And so a year a year later, um, and we were partners with with um, some other friends we decided 
or I guess they really decided because they kind of announced to me, we're going to buy the Cincinnati Herald. Mrs. Parham was ready to sell at that point. Um, and so um, we bought the Herald, which was weekly. And so um, just really exciting. So I was just kind of along for the ride. And actually, when, when Eric and some other friends met to talk about starting a publishing company, it was right here in this library. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and I was just kind of hanging out. And I said, oh, well, you know, I'll come in and listen. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I'll just come in and listen. And then I said, I want to be a part of this company. And so I joined in with them. Um, I mean, we weren't even married yet. So um, so that was really fun. So um, two of our partners left for other ventures. And then in 2005, Eric ended up going to the Ohio Senate, which left me. So luckily, I walked into that meeting because I was only I'm, I'm the only one left at the Herald. Right. But I've, you know, I've been there since the beginning. And what's your role as publisher? So now I should say I started uh, as as editor and now I'm publisher. So which is really different, mm-hmm. you know. So um, as editor, that was something that was real comfortable for me. I mean, because I love writing and reading and, you know, journalism. Journalism is fun, though I'm not really a trained journalist. I kind of learned it. Um, But um, being a publisher, it's the business side. So it's more high pressure, and you really have to worry about the bottom line all the time. Yeah. You know, you got to worry about the money. Okay. So, um, but you also have to worry about the integrity of the paper. Um, it's kind of everything, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to be careful about and you were asking me about being objective. You have to be really careful um, because you don't want to ever be bought, you know. Right. So if someone comes in who, who's advertising, um, you have to, you know, make sure that you're not letting them buy your editorial side. Like you get to you get the space and you get to say what, you know, you have to say in your ad, but that doesn't mean our editorial side will agree with it. Well, let's back up a little bit because we were talking about object objectivity just as we were chatting before right. the show. So, you know, I've worked in uh, mainstream corporate newsrooms and, you know, I I went to journalism school and took classes in Yeah, you're a real and, journalist. Yes. Well, I mean, this is all real journalism, but my, yeah. my I was trained with this particular idea for right or wrong. I'm not yeah. defending it necessarily. Right. But this set of ideas around objectivity and the role that, say, a major metro daily plays within, this, within the city. Right. And so because you talked about the history of the black press as having this kind of crusading spirit and this... Um, you know, goal, um, really a, a, as an advocate, to, to be an advocate for, right. for black communities. So how do you have a conversation? What does objectivity mean? Do you have a conversation around objectivity with a your news gathering staff? Yeah, and how lot. do you talk about that? Yeah, and not that I'm preaching to them. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of ongoing. How do we make sure we're being fair? So the first thing in being fair um, is to realize everyone has their biases. So like objectivity is really subjective. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, it's really subjective. So the way to guard against that is to make sure you get lots of different viewpoints. So covering news stories, we have to get, and people get upset about that because we have to we have to hear lots of sides. And we I say there's more than two sides to a story. There might be three, there might be four, there could be 10. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to talk to everybody. Um, a lot of times people come to us because they're upset about something that happened. And, you know, we love being being here for them. But we always say, if this is a news story, 
you know, like something happened on your job, you know, we have to talk to your supervisor, you know, we have to talk to other coworkers, we can't just hear your side of it, you know, that's, that's commentary, but this is news. And so the, the two are very different. And so we've had people who've said, they've read the story after it's been written and said, you know, we'll just don't publish it. You know, we're not happy with that. Because, you know, you interviewed my boss who said, you know, A, B, or C. So it can be tough. You know, that doesn't happen a lot. You know, a lot of times people say, okay, well, that's fair. You know, they said that, but, you know, I'm saying this, and, you know, we're trying to present it. So the way of really being fair is to make sure you have all sides. I love that. And what that points to is that you, you're really playing a role as um, really like a journalism education institution in the city because that's not common knowledge. You know, people don't know the difference between news reporting and commentary right. or a letter to the editor or an op-ed. Right. And so when you have these people coming to you wanting you to cover their issue, you're really saying, look, if you just want your side of the story told, then submit an op-ed. Right. And we'll we make run it as that. So exactly. I think it's so. But here's the thing. So if people and we've said that to people, if you want to do a letter to the editor complaining about something, but if you're going to start mentioning names and companies, then we have to go talk to them and also give them a chance. So, yeah, so there's, you know, there's, um, you know, they say don't try to make friends as a journalist because people always get mad at you and they do. Um, I feel that we get a lot of love because we really help a lot of people and uh, lots of folks come to us and say we've made a difference. You know, I remember one woman I talked to about a month ago and we did a story about her son um, who started this black history program in his school because he said they weren't teaching black history. And then she was she said, you don't know what happened after that story. Story, but he got invited to Ghana to go make a presentation and like all these great things happened to him. So, um, you know, that's a good feeling. You, know, you just never know, you know, who whose life you're touching. That's great. Yeah. What are some um, talk to me a little bit about some recent headlines or some some front page stories in the past year or so that you feel really proud of and maybe even where you feel that the Herald really led in terms of local news coverage or analysis. Well, and let me start with with a negative one, because okay. um, in this conversation about, uh, you know, advertising versus editorial. Mm-hmm. So we had a full page ad from President Trump um, and that, you know, personally, I think he's really bad for the country, but, you know, that's it's up to everyone to choose. Right. But I think as a black newspaper, uh, most of what we've reported about him, you know, has not been good. And so um, when the edit, when the ad came out, we had a lot of calls and people wanted to cancel their subscription. And I, and I explained, well, this is advertising and, you know, he's got a right to advertise. It's different than editorial. We're not advocating for him. He's just buying a space. So you have to make sure that you understand that, um, you know, we're not um, endorsing him. So so that that can be really tough. Mm-hmm. And then someone said, well, you know, why would you even let him advertise in your paper? Well, you know, he's the president, um, you know, like it or not, you know, somebody voted for him. And so um, and I think the problem with the ad, people complained that he had a lot of African-Americans in the ad. And I said, well, they voluntarily, you know, were in the ad. So um, but so so that can be really mm-hmm. tough. And there was a lot of discussion about that. But, you know, and the, again, you're, you're playing a you're helping educate people about how newspapers work. Because, yeah. you know, he has part his part of his campaign. He's got this 
black outreach effort and yeah. they've got dollars to spend on it. Right. And I'm sure that Harold is not the only black paper in the country that, you know, they tried to buy ad space in. This is right. Yeah. There. He actually. Yeah. It was actually from our, our newspaper publishers association. Mm-hmm. So those are 200 newspapers across the country. He actually didn't add by with the with the whole um, with with the entire organization. But we've also had a lot of articles in the paper about you know the things that he's done that are really negative and uh, and I and they're factual things like you know immigration I mean there are a lot of things he's done that really are hurtful to the African-American um, community to people of color in general and so we've talked about that like you know even though he's advertised with us and that's you know that's advertising versus you know editorial I mean he's advertised with us but that doesn't stop us from also telling what what we consider consider the truth about his presidency right so and it was similar when um President Obama was running, we stepped out and said, okay, we are endorsing um, Senator Obama at that point. You know, we're advocating for him to be president. We thought he was very positive. I think his presidency was wonderful. Not perfect, but but wonderful um, and really good for our country. And so, um, you know, we really pushed for him. And so that, that can happen as well. Many candidates, we step back and say, um, you know, we're not, we're not doing endorsements like you're asking about the primary. Uh, so we said, well, you know, we're not doing endorsements in the primary, but we're we're showing, you know, all the candidates who are running and letting people decide on their own. We're really not having uh, an opinion on everything. So again, we were chatting before we before um, we started taping about the primary and whether the Herald will be making an endorsement. And so, when you say we'll be showing the different Democratic candidates, what what are you doing to kind of introduce the candidates well, to your readership? Yeah, this week, for example, um, my editor um, Dan Yount was saying that he has a story about Jim Neal and about Charmaine McGuffey, both are running for sheriff. Um, and it's a really um, contentious race. Apparently they grew up together and, you know, lived down the street from each other. They're one year apart. They went to high school together. And um, so, I mean, it's really it's a really interesting race, but uh, to show both, both candidates. So we're not siding with one or the other, but we're showing both. Okay, so, so in local races, county races, as well as in the Democratic primary, no endorsements. Right. Okay. Right. And is that a new decision for this year? Because it sounds like in the past you have made endorsements. Well, I can tell you, honestly, um, it's really tough um, because you it takes a lot of time. And so we don't we don't take endorsements lightly. And so my position is if we don't have the time to to get the questionnaires to the candidates um, and to have a committee form to actually go over them and then to have open discussions about it, because that's really our process. And we just didn't have time. And so if we don't have time to actually do that, we're not going to rush to judgment. Um, so it's got to be done right because, you know, or not at all, because voting is so important. Um, and we really take endorsements really, really seriously. So we won't, you know, we don't say just vote for this person, you know, she's my friend or, you know, oh, yeah, I, I know her, or I know him. It's like, no, 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 there's there's a committee that gets together um, after the candidates have actually done questionnaires and so it's it's a really deliberate process and it really takes a lot of time yeah so for that reason because we've just been swamped we just we just aren't doing it so you know that's that's really our um 
position if we can't take the time and do it right and do it well and really hear a lot of sides because there's a lot of arguing back and forth that happens, which I think is good um, so that we come up with, okay, here, this we're choosing this person not because it was just some off-the-wall decision, but because, right. you know, we really think this is the right person and we've gone through that process. Yeah, you want to be rigorous about it. That's yeah. a really principled approach. Right. Uh, you mentioned the National Newspaper Publishers Association, the NNPA, and I know that it held its convention here. In, it's national yes. convention here in Cincinnati. That was so over exciting. the summer, yes. And you were the convention chair, yes. Um, and you said it represents over 200 publications across the country, right? Yeah, there are more than 200 black newspapers across the country yeah. who are members. And I, you know, I was surprised at the time to see. I don't know if I was necessarily surprised, but I was interested to see that Bernie Sanders was a either offered a keynote or was some kind of major offered a speech to the to the um, those who gathered. Right. What were your impressions or what you know why do you and why do you think he chose to come to the NNP I thought that was an interesting choice well you know Bernie Sanders is really going after the minority vote I mean he's really uh, he's always said that uh, one of his campaign chairs Senator Nina Turner um, served with Eric in the Senate and she's a personal friend really like her a lot have a lot of respect for her but I can just tell you we opened up the process to everybody we asked every candidate if they'd like to come okay um, so he is the one who chose to come and that's why he really chose us we didn't choose him sure. um, I thought he was wonderful um, he you know packed the room and um, paid tribute to Marjorie Parham who at that point was 101 she turned 102 a few weeks ago uh, and she's doing great but um, yeah so he came uh, and you know as Nina said you really get you know two for one because she spoke as well and she's really dynamic and they really talked a lot well she talked a lot about the importance of voting um, our voter turnouts tend to be low. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I don't get that. I mean, I still just can't understand that. But that's something that we just have to fight against because people, you know, fought and died and shed blood so that, you know, we would have our right to vote. I mean, it is our right to vote and we have to exercise it. And it's really important to be involved in the political process um, and not say it doesn't matter because it really does matter. And I think what we're going through now with, with our current president is because too many people stayed home. I, I want to circle back to the um, the question I asked earlier about uh, stories in the past year or so that you feel really proud of. Oh, um, yeah. Because I think often what happens is that uh, we see this a lot with online media as well. Sometimes a story will just get covered by, you know, like a very progressive news site or um, uh, a Latino news news site or publication. Mm -hmm. And then the mainstream press realizes, oh, we totally are missing this story and right. we need to catch up. And so there's a way in which black papers throughout history have set an agenda. You know, I don't think initially mainstream papers understood that there was a, an anti-lynching movement, the seeds of a civil rights movement, because black papers had been doing that work for decades. Right, that's and right. And they were missing the story. So, I mean, maybe not something that quite that dramatic, but are there right. stories that the, the Herald has really I've, found and really set the agenda around? I think a big story in this past year was Judge Tracy Hunter. Um, I think she's really been misunderstood by the by the daily press. Um 
you know, and the fact that she ended up in jail, I think is a travesty. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But we had um, Vanessa Enoch um, actually won uh, a journalism award for covering the trial, you know, her trials. Um, I think that was like five years ago at this point. Um, and then Liz Brazil, who also worked with us as well. Um, but, you know, to see her go to jail, um, and, and I think we might be the only publication that interviewed her in jail, you know, so we went in the jail and sat down with her and talked to her. Um, and she was she was trying to make reform there. I mean, she was saying how, um, you know, the, the male guards could, I mean, it's really just, you know, humiliating um, scenarios, but the male guards could come in uh, when the women were using the bathroom or, you know, or getting dressed, and there was just no privacy. And, I mean, the thing is, you know, to be um, to be in jail because you've done something wrong, which she hasn't, but, you know, for and some people have, um, but to be humiliated and to be dehumanized, I mean, that's not what we need. That doesn't help anyone. Mm-hmm. So um, so she was really speaking out for people. And she was saying there were some people who needed medical attention who, who weren't getting it. And so she, um, she really was for reform. And she said some reform happened while she was there. And so you were able to really dedicate staff resources to covering her trial right. and covering and then, you know, going into jail to interview her. Uh, remind me how many people you have on staff. How many reporters we, do you have? We have well, we have um, different reporters. Uh, Vanessa Enoch, for example, writes for us, but she's not full time on staff. Okay. Um, you know, so lots of people write stories. I couldn't even begin to tell you how many mm-hmm. um, we as have freelancers. Yes, yeah, yeah. freelancers, mm-hmm. um, because our budget is really small. We have 14 uh, staff people, but they're doing all different things. So we have, you know, our, our uh, editor, we have, um, you know, like two layout artists, we have, you know, the circulation people, we have the office manager, the classified ad manager, we have, you know, ad execs. Um, but and, and also social media is a big thing now, too. So I, I should say the Herald is not just print. I mean, it's, you know, we've got Lit 513. It's a show on, on Herald TV, YouTube. Um, you know, we, we do this thing on, on The Buzz every Saturday. We have a show on The Buzz, uh, the influencers, um, you know, the website. I mean, you just can't in 2020 um, just do print. Right. So we're print and we consider, consider ourselves multimedia. But um, lots of people come up and say they'd like to write. And mm-hmm. so we are so grateful because um, we couldn't cover everything we cover unless people stepped up. You know, we've got interns as well. But often there are people who say, you know, I want to write about, you know, whatever. And we're like, this is great. You know, right. we love it. So um, and I think black newspapers in general are a good opportunity for people who want to be writers. Maybe they're not ready to do it full time. Um, and we don't have a budget to just hire everybody full-time so so it makes it um you know that part is really difficult but i mean the fact that there's so many talented writers out there who are willing to to cover stories for us and i would think um you know also people with other multimedia skills people who feel comfortable shooting video on their phones or you know recording audio right um so that's wonderful that you that you um give yeah we really couldn't do it without them yeah and so that so you were talking about just the the kind of budgetary constraints, and I found this. Um, I was reading um, that between 2000 and 2015, print newspaper ad revenues across the board. So this is print papers in general, right, yeah. fell from approximately $60 billion to $20 billion. So talk a bit about the Herald's business model and and how you're surviving this huge shift in the in the news industry. Yeah. So. 
like we've survived um, two recessions, and so here we are. And I say, hey, we're still standing. This is great. But newspapers have had to reinvent themselves. Um, so those who said, you know, we're just going to be print, I think are not doing well. I mean, you just cannot be print because, you know, your generation, for example, um, really likes social media. Um, I know some college students came by to visit, and we said, and they were from, from UC, and this was maybe, you know, two years ago, and we said, how do, you, how do you get your news? They all held up their phone. Well, yeah. So, like, if we don't have, if, we, if we're not multimedia, we're missing a big part of our audience. On the other hand, whenever we say to someone, okay, we don't really have room, in the paper because print is super expensive and it gets more expensive you know every year Mm -hmm. sometimes every month they oh sorry we're raising the price you know Um, but if when we say well you know we don't really have room in the paper let's put you online and you know a lot of people say well you know we want to be in print right I mean we want to be in print we want you know we want to see like our our event you know as I said you know we do um, you know we cover good news so it might be you know, the gala that, you know, NAACP's Freedom Fund Dinner or the Urban League Gala or the African American Chambers event, um, someone's award ceremony. And they're like, no, we want to see it in print. We want a full page. That makes it real. Color photos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't just want it online. Like online is great, but we also want to see it. Um, So and often we go into someone's office or someone's house and they'll have the page from the Herald all framed. And, you know, I love that. That that really makes me happy. But people still want to see print. Um, So so we have to do both. So we have to reinvent ourselves in terms of events as well. Um, we do a lot of events. Um, one, we just had our daddy-daughter dinner dance at Duke Energy Convention Center. Over 1,200 people came. Wow. Um, and, and we sold out like three weeks in advance. So, you know, we could have had like probably hundreds more. We're like, okay, stop. This is, you know, we only, we only ordered so much food, so many tiaras, so many like stuffed toys, <laughs> so many gifts, you know, and right. so many photo frames for the keepsake photo, um, which is why, you know, people are like, you, you know, Convention Center has lots of room. Well, we only, prepared for 1200 but um but you know things like that and then we do our nefertiti awards honoring outstanding women in the community we do the bright awards for 18 to 30 year olds um we're adding a mother-son roses brunch because after the daddy-daughter people are like well where's the Mm mother-son event so we're Mm -hmm. working on that and this year we're having our our 65th um, anniversary gala in august so august 29th to be exact at music hall ballroom so you know, part of it, and you find a lot of publications are doing events. They're doing right. the same thing. And then we also partner with banks um, and do things like, uh, like we partner with Fifth Third and we do Empower You um, Financial Literacy. It's an event that um, people don't have to pay for. You know, it's it's a it's a community service. It's a way of, of getting your finances in shape, learning how to budget, learning how to, you know, raise that credit score, get out of debt. Um, and then we do owning it, you know, home ownership workshops. So a lot Lot of it, um, you know, a lot of things we do are outside of actually the news and right. print and all that. And I think um, it's, a, you know, when I start listing all the things we do and then you say how many people are on staff and I'm thinking oh, only 14. But, it's right. you know, it's because so many people help us. So many people who aren't like really on staff come in and help us with all of this. And so we have so many uh, volunteers and so many supporters. And we're really, really thankful for that. And and those events are both revenue streams as well as they ways are. to kind of support the community and celebrate the community. Right. Mm-hmm. So Daddy Daughter, even though 
the food costs more than the ticket, um, the point it, because we want we want our events to be affordable. So let me start by saying that. So we we get sponsors to to try to cover that cost. Um, you know, we don't want we don't want to price ourselves um, out of our market. We want our community to afford it. So Nefertiti, for example, um, used to be like ten dollars. I think we ended up raising it to twenty. But you know, twenty dollars for lunch at a hotel, you it just you know it's it's more than that, right? And then you have to get the awards. You have to pay pay for the music and the entertainment. So there are a lot of costs that that go into it. But we get sponsors to help because. Um, you know, our feeling at the Herald is if you're getting honored, we want your family and your friends to be able to afford to come and see you. If you're going to the daddy-daughter dance, yes, some people can afford a higher price ticket and some people are struggling for $15. So we want to make sure that everybody can come no matter income level. Mm-hmm. So our audiences are always really diverse, um, you know, not just racially, but socioeconomically as well. And I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all in it together. So it's really important. I mean, you make such a good point, whether it's The Atlantic, The New Yorker, The New York Times, everybody's doing events now, right? right? It's like part of what it means to be a news organization, a news outlet. That's really interesting. And it's really fun. And it's also a way of of meeting new people and finding other stories. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're out there with the people you're serving. And so that's really good. You're not just like sitting back in the the Mm -hmm. office. You're out there and meeting people and talking to people. And it really makes it fun. Yeah. So, so this is um, this is your sixty the Herald sixty fifth anniversary year. Yes. When you look ahead to the next, I won't say sixty five years. Right. But <laughs> say the next five years. What are some things that you're excited about, or some some things that you see on the horizon? I'm excited about growth. Um, we really, I mean, we are growing. Um, our audience is growing. Um, it's uh, you know it's it's getting younger as well, which is a good thing. Um, and our our social media, our, um, our our programs. I mean, everything is is getting um, more frequent and bigger, more popular. Um, and so I really love that. That makes me think. You know, we're going to be around for a long time, advocating and and telling telling our own stories. And I really love that. Jim Michelle, thank you so much for thank joining you, us. Thank you, Danny. It's been so much fun talking to it's you. It's been a pleasure talking with you and just learning uh, about what you're up to and, and everything that the Herald is up to. Stay tuned for our next episode of Inside the Writer's Head. Join us for more conversations with members of Cincinnati's literary community, uh, lovers of journalism, books, libraries, and beyond. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. You can meet Danny at various events throughout the year. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writerinresidence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes. And leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you. Thank you.